0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Trina Allen. And I'm Kristen Ikemer. And back in studio with us today is the one and only Daily Single senior reporter, Mary Margaret O'Han. Mary Margaret, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> uh, it's been a minute since you've been on the show. I know. I, I miss you guys. You. I miss having you on. Well, I have been following some Hollywood news and the big news. The main big news out of Hollywood this week is that a lot of the late night shows are on a pause because the Screenwriters Guild is on strike. And I haven't delved too deeply into researching all of the reasons why they are striking, but what I gather from the research that I have done is that they are not getting payments, kickbacks when the things that they have written are aired on streaming services, but they were. When those things were aired, reruns were aired on television. So that means that they're going from, you know, maybe getting several hundred dollars every time one of the shows that they wrote is re aired on TV to now getting nothing since everything is shifting over to streaming services. So they're on strike, which means very little late night television. And then the other big news is that the Late Late Show with James Gordon, not only is it on pause, it's just done altogether. Ooh. That show has been losing money. Apparently, um, it's reported that it was losing as much as $20 million a year. So it was costing a ton of money to produce, and they just weren't making that money back. Um, But are you all late, late show fans at all? Or just in general, late night television? Do you have a favorite sketch from late night TV that you've ever seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not a fan. I'm usually not up that late either (laughs) since I'm getting up so early. But I think it's really funny that this was such major news for some people. And some people's lives are going to be very different as a result of not having this, right? And (laughs) That's true for those
0: that, like, it was their
1: routine to watch the show. And I get it, and I feel bad for them. But at the same time, get over yourself, guys. Like, you're literally (laughs) being paid to to give your opinion tucker carlson said that in the 50th speech um at heritages gala last week and i'm i'm just kind of confused by why it just kind of further shows how entitled hollywood continues to be
2: yeah also a i never watched any of them because they were really bad they they were terrible and they were so woke Mm. all of the content was woke if they were funny it seemed like it was accidental so I'm not totally sure (laughs) why these writers are considered good writers in the first place because the content isn't good. (laughs) And then the massive amounts of money they were paying to make these shows, it makes sense to me that they would have to take them off the air because they're not that
0: popular anyways. It really shows the shift in television, Mm -hmm. right? Because it used to be that this is what the American people wanted. They wanted someone that kind of came into their living room at night and made them feel a part of a family. Mm -hmm. And it was funny and lively and there was entertainment. I mean, this has been the case with TV going back years and years and years back to like the 1950s so i think we're seeing this fundamental shift in what people want in television but mary margaret i i am going to defend late night television a little (laughs) bit here um because yes, so much of the content is woke and i i would not stay up and watch the shows but um if you all have listened to this show in the past you know I do easily get sucked into YouTube Mm -hmm. black (laughs) holes. And I would often find myself watching clips, carpool karaoke clips Mm -hmm. or or other things from late night television shows from Jimmy Fallon. There uh, have been some really hilarious lip sync battles. Okay, I believe that. I believe that. (laughs) I will say, just
1: to jump in really fast, something I kind of told you about this earlier, Virginia, but my favorite all-time sketch was Jimmy Fallon and Will Ferrell, um, it's called The Heckler, and they do it every so often, and basically Jimmy Fallon's dressed up in this 70s or 80s look with a terrible haircut, and he's singing songs like Don't Stop Believing, <laughs> and Will Ferrell is just out in the audience heckling him. My mom and I have probably watched that like 80 times. Whenever it comes back <laughs> up in my news feed, I'll send it to her. But I will say, you know, similar to how Skype missed its mark with COVID, I feel hmm. like these people kind of missed their mark because it's it's like we are still interested in having people, you know, share their lives with us as an influencer on Instagram or uh, Twitter, or TikTok. I don't use TikTok, but some people do. And why didn't they just, you know, take their opportunity and their platform to those social media outlets? They could have gotten sponsorship. I know Jimmy Fallon and Ben and Jerry's have worked together, so that's why I'm I'm looking at this and thinking they're entitled because you had the opportunity and you had a huge, major mm-hmm. head start with a huge audience that you could have used on social media. Not my problem that you didn't leverage that.
2: Well, also too, they didn't really leverage the times. Like it, you, you should be reading the signs of the times. If the entire country is on lockdown and suffering from a pandemic, maybe you shouldn't be leaning into this woke nonsense about, you know, the elitist COVID narrative. Maybe you should be talking about what the rest of the country would like to hear, making jokes about things along those lines. I don't know. I, I'm no late night show expert. I am not impressed by them. I say good riddance, ta-ta,
0: sayonara. <laughs> I just still want funny videos on YouTube, please. That's all I ask. <laughs> but we have a lot of, speaking of some of that woke craziness, we have a lot of that to discuss today. So, Kristen, go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up.
1: Yeah. Up on today's Problematic Women, we explain the recent banking crisis and what to expect in the immediate future and next year with inflation rates. Plus, it has been been one year since someone leaked the draft opinion of the Dobbs v. Jackson case that overturned Roe v. Wade. And still, the identity of the leaker is unknown. Also on today's show, we are telling you what to know about the Biden administration's latest green energy craze and how it could affect your air conditioner. And as always, we'll be crowning our problematic women of the week.
0: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
1: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure can virtue signal. As we make it through the thick of quarter two, we're starting to see some of the painful repercussions of Biden's economic policies, which is focused primarily on bailing out banks with taxpayer dollars, hiking interest rates and weaponizing currency. But let's break down the impacts of this misleading agenda, starting Mm. with jobs. (laughs) New numbers from the Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey revealed that the number of open jobs actually dropped to the lowest level since May 2021. Mm. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell explained the decline in jobs opening is only natural as the labor market crouches closer to a better balance. This is why we're seeing reports that the labor market is slowly settling back. But heritage experts and many economists disagree. And and it's really important to point out the differences here because, as we've talked about in the past, stats and data can really easily be be manipulated to fit Mm -hmm. a narrative Heritage's Peter St. Ange explains that what we're seeing is the Federal Reserve actually cutting what they're calling surplus jobs out of the job opening metrics, tipping the scales. But that's only half the story. In the last three years, 3.6 million American workers have gone missing, says St. Ange. He continues by explaining that of the 3.6 million missing American workers, 2 million removed from the count by being put on disability, making them not a part of that unemployment metric or Mm -hmm. those looking for work, while the rest were simply not counted. So what he kind of alludes to with this is, you know, homeless, um, those people that haven't been looking for work for more than I believe it's six months, although I I might have to fact check that they actually aren't Counted as those seeking work. So they're taken out of job seekers, which is a key metric in the unemployment number. This means that those 3.6 million American workers originally classified as unemployed were taken out of the measuring system entirely used by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is what we use and kind of pay attention to to really understand our country's unemployment rate, which is. Not surprisingly, why unemployment has been so low? It's actually been 3.5%. Had those 3.6 million American workers been included, it would have been closer to 6% unemployment Mm. rate, which is pretty high. Yeah, (laughs) that is very high. Um, But this is just the Biden administration's latest attempt to reclassify and recalibrate their metrics to make it look like they actually understand how to run an economy. (laughs) Safe to say that the state of our workforce is dire, but American workers aren't the only ones suffering. Our banks are feeling the heat of interest rate hikes and weak monetary policy. Last week, the FDIC said that it will take over one of the largest banks in America in preparation for a bailout. That makes it the fifth major bank bailout in the last two months. For those keeping count, the banks that have been bailed out by the FDIC include Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, Signature, Credit Suisse, and now First Republic. So why does this keep on happening? In an attempt to combat inflation, the Biden administration has been hiking interest rates in an attempt to slow certain aspects of the economy and decrease consumer borrowing of money. In theory... Economists will, you know, take out the physical dollars from our economy, put them in the Federal Reserve, which will then decrease the number of dollars that we actually have access to as consumers and and businesses have access to, and thus increasing their value. It's simple supply and demand theory that works in theory, but doesn't necessarily work at combating inflation in the real world. That's been the major issue with Biden economists. What it's actually doing is robbing bonds from banks, so this is their ability to have access to money in the Treasury, and decreasing the amount of money that companies and consumers have access to. Those banks that have defaulted have because fearful depositors have taken large amounts of money out of the banks that they believe are going to fail. In First Republic's case, over $100 billion in deposits were withdrawn and that's over half of their deposits, basically making them insolvent. I mean, it is insolvent. That's why they failed. <laughs> um, so what's next for First Republic and our banking system? Major banks like JPMorgan Chase, and in this case, that's the largest financial institution in America, will buy their assets um, as the FDIC sells them. JPMorgan Chase actually bought most of the assets from First Republic Bank, which is terrifying because it's just adding to the problem of too big to fail. Um In this case, J.P. Morgan is being classified as that because if it were to fail, that would basically mean total economic meltdown, which is terrifying. We haven't seen that in years. There's so many other aspects to this that we haven't touched on that the banking sector actually influences. We've seen Bed Bath & Beyond announce that they're going bankrupt. We've seen the housing market fluctuating as a result of interest rates increase. It's all terrifying But what are your thoughts?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been really fascinating to see the First Republic Bank situation play out because we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, it was this huge thing in the news. And unfortunately, the federal government did take on so much essentially debt from that, uh, and the American people are paying for those failures that were made at Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, I was glad to see that the federal government didn't go that full in with First Republic Bank, that JPMorgan Chase is picking up a significant amount of the tab, but still the American taxpayer is picking up some of the tab on that bank. And I think, Kristen, you make an interesting point that, okay, uh, good to see another banks stepping in here, but are we maybe putting too many eggs in one basket? What does this mean for JPMorgan Chase? Are they becoming just too too large? Are there concerns there? I don't know uh, details as far as the health of that bank, but I think that that's an interesting point. What does that mean for the future of that bank if if they run into troubles in the future? I don't know. Um, personally, I think the biggest thing that I feel <sighs> concerned might be too strong of a word, but that I'm definitely watching really closely is interest rates. As Kristen, I I know you're hoping to buy a house at some point. I'm hoping to buy a house at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And so watching interest rates and watching that ebb and flow obviously directly impacts... For young people and for anybody, but especially for young people, our ability to make one of the big investments that we can ever make, which is buying a home. And um, you mentioned Peter St. Ong. uh, And he has said if if you don't follow him on Twitter and you're a Twitter user, definitely look up Peter St. Ong because he posts daily videos kind of breaking down what is happening With the economy, with banking, they're very helpful. But one thing that he said, as of Wednesday, we are likely seeing um, the Fed raise interest rates to 5.1%. And then as we approach the 2024 election, we're likely going to see those interest rates fall, and they'll potentially get back around 4% or lower by the time of the 2024 election, which is interesting to see that interplay that politics plays with the economy Mm -hmm. the two are actually quite closely linked
2: yeah um as someone that doesn't follow this very closely first of all Kristen, that was very helpful (laughs) to explain and i should say i don't follow it closely because i'm intellectually lazy and i don't understand it (laughs) um so this is all very helpful my my knowledge of banks probably mostly stems from George Bailey's experience with a run on the bank when he was supposed to go on his honeymoon and a wonderful life. <laughs> that's so sweet. So that's what I always think of. But this is scary stuff. It's very scary stuff. And like you were saying, Virginia, um, it's easy to see how closely it's tied to politics. Uh-huh. And um, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this goes as we head into the 2024 election.
0: Well, I think the Bed Bath & Beyond news is interesting. I literally on Monday night was running some errands and saw that Bed Bath & Beyond was like store closing. They had a bunch of stuff marked down and then found out Tuesday was like, oh, my gosh, they're going bankrupt Mm -hmm. and stores across the country are closing, which like, okay, that's interesting. Another kind of uh, retail giant that, you know, years ago seemed so solid Mm -hmm. is falling.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's largely a result of just, you know, the supply chain issues Personal antidote, Bed Bath (laughs) & Beyond, I actually bought my Dyson vacuum from because I wanted to, you know, make that adult status yes. and I had a twenty percent coupon, you know, I was such feeling an adult mood in <laughs> that, <laughs> that vacuum cleaner. Right. Yeah. Black Friday <laughs> deal too, I think it Ooh. was amazing. I felt like Love it was it. such a steal. And it actually ended up being a steal because they lost my vacuum in transit, no. refunded me like the three or four hundred dollars, and then it showed up like three weeks later. Wow. And when I contacted them because I really, you know, I am a consumer and I'm responsible, <laughs> I was like, what job, do Kristen. I do? And they just said, keep it. And so I think, again, we're seeing, you know, impacts of COVID, but also impacts of just poor management. It's not Mm. just economic policy, but it's policy from the Department of Transportation. And so, like, it's a much bigger thing. To your point, though, really quick with the housing market, because we didn't really – I didn't talk about it on my spiel earlier. (laughs) Um, I was looking at a house. I actually put my first offer in on my birthday, which was Mm -hmm. uh, two days ago. Happy birthday. Um, Thank you. (laughs) But – It was a home that was very close to another host, Lauren Evans. Um, However, it was a little bit smaller. It was priced a lot lower. However, when you're looking at buying a house, you have to look at the monthly payment. And my monthly payment was the exact same for a two-bedroom, one-bath as hers, which was a three-bedroom, two-bath townhouse. It's just crazy because that's what the interest rate hikes will do. Mm -hmm. We were looking at, I think I borrowed my car for 1.7% back, you know, in 2020. And now it's just so much higher that it's making things almost unaffordable to young people just looking Mm -hmm. to buy their first home. So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting. I will say I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and they say that it's best to buy a home at the height of... This is not actually real economic advice so don't listen to me um, <laughs> and buy a home and then blame me later but they said it's best to buy a house as interest rates start to fall because you're getting the lowest price and you can always refinance so there is hope for you guys if you're home buyers yeah. that's why I'm still looking but yeah it is really hard the the entry the barrier of entry for buying a home right now is literally caused by the biden administration
2: i that always makes me think of how it impacts young families getting started? Because you know, as conservatives, we always talk about the importance of family in um, the conservative movement and raising strong thinkers and um, moral, mor- just moral people. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that plays into whether a man feels like he's ready to start a family, slash a woman is ready to marry someone if they can afford to get a house and move out of the city, and all these things factor into our um, declining birth rates. So mm-hmm. that that is very scary to me and i know our country has been struggling with that for a long time anyways but this is even worse and um you know anyways yeah <laughs> <It's Economic. laughs>
1: you're right though economics is so boring but it literally impacts everything it does <laughs> It does. yeah
0: it has such broad broad reaching effects but we have to move on we have two more very important topics of discussion because we are one year out from the anniversary of the Dobbs leak. That's the case that ultimately overturned Roby Wade. And we're also going to discuss the Biden administration and some new policies that look like they're going to affect your air conditioner. But uh, before we get into those topics, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and are searching for other like-minded podcasts, then look no further than Students Over Systems. It's a new podcast production by the Independent Women's Forum. Every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, host Ginny Gentles is joined by parents and policymakers to discuss school choice and parental rights. Students Over Systems charts a path To a brighter future by featuring the voices of the creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. And if you can't wait for that next episode to come out, you can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or you can search for Students Over Systems podcast in your favorite podcast app. Tuesday night marked one year since the draft opinion of the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case was leaked from the Supreme Court. This was the big case out of Mississippi that everyone knew could overturn Roe v. Wade and send abortion back to the American people to decide within their states with their elected officials. And of course, ultimately, we know that is what happened. But I think if if we think back a year ago, it was about 9 p.m. on May 2nd, and Politico published this exclusive piece with a draft supreme court opinion and the draft showed that the justices that they were planning to overturn roe v wade and almost instantly literally almost instantly protests started first they were at the supreme court so that night there was a large group that went to the supreme court our uh, former colleague doug blair he lives very close to the court he ran over there there was students from catholic university who were there praying and then you had pro-abortion protesters who started shouting and and even that night got a little bit aggressive, got a little bit violent. And then it was just months and months and months of protests. But unfortunately, the protests didn't stay at the Supreme Court. They went to the homes of the justices, which we've talked about on this show, um, because... Many of us, Mary Margaret, yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, so many of us at the Daily Signal, we were covering those protests at the homes of the Supreme Court justices, Justice Samuel Alito, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, and watching as individuals made, you know, neighborhoods, safe neighborhoods where kids play, essentially um, these really intense places of. Intense shouting and uh, vulgar language and vulgar signs. Um, and it was wild to see that in the midst of that, law enforcement, they were present. They were always there. Mm-hmm. They were making sure that things didn't get too crazy, but they did not arrest protesters. And you might say, well, people have a right to protest. Well, you'll remember that we've talked about on this podcast that there's actually a federal law that prohibits protesting outside the home of a judge or justice with the intent of intimidating that judge or justice and how they're going to rule on a case. Well, this is exactly what this was. This was pure intimidation. These folks were trying uh, to threaten the justices to say, if if you rule to overturn Roe v. Wade, you know, we're coming after you. And that scenario played out over and over for months, even as of, I think, December, there were still protests outside the home of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Mary Margaret, I I know that you covered many of these. You've written extensively on this topic. I mean, why do you think that no arrests have been made of these individuals that broke the law over and over and over. And we it's not like we don't know who they are. We know who they are. We have their names. We've printed right. their names. We
2: know who they are. They know who we are. Uh, we're all friends with them, I think.
0: <laughs> uh, friends in quotes.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Women's March, there were a couple of them there, and they harassed me and Tim Kennedy, other uh, colleague, until we had to leave the Women's March because they were yelling at us. They told me my boots were ugly. Oh, were wow. rud- the rudest protesters <laughs> ever. Also very petty. But anyways... They've been protesting at the justices' home since May 2022. Um, I I would say a year now, but they haven't gone for the past couple of weeks, I think, because of our Daily Signal reporting last time in January, uh, where we went to Kavanaugh's house and to uh, Barrett's house to cover this. And we asked them, you guys know you're protesting in violation of 18 U.S. Code 1507. They didn't care. And we asked the marshals that were there, because the the U.S. marshals are who handle the security for the justices. We said, why isn't this in violation of 18 U.S. Code 1507? And the marshals on the ground told Tim and I that basically they didn't have to arrest them if they weren't on the property. And long story short, that was coming from the DOJ. Hmm. That, That instruction was coming from the DOJ, and the U.S. marshals had been... They're given their marching orders and they have to exactly. So they had heard from the top not to arrest people. And Merrick Garland has gone back and forth. He admitted to Ted Cruz during a Senate hearing recently that, um, yes, it is against the law to protest in front of a judge's home with the intent of influencing a judge, which is exactly what they were doing when they were shouting all these horrible things at the justices while we're waiting for the Dobbs decision. And Justice Alito just said the other day that the leak was intended to spur this kind of thing to Mm. intimidate the justices to not overturn Roe. Um, And Virginia and I, we did this video yesterday with Samantha um, where we kind of laid out how all that went down. And and I liked how we said it didn't work. Yeah. All of this happened. But the justices were not deterred. Because there's a reason that the Supreme Court justices are Supreme Court justices. They're not cowards. When they know what something is right and true, then they, they follow that. And they overturned Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. But still, we have these government entities that are not enforcing the law to protect the justices. We even had – there's 15 Senate Democrats that are trying to uh, withhold security – funding for security to protect the Supreme Court justices, they're saying, we're not going to give you your funding unless you agree to instate this code of ethics or um, recusal policy Mm -hmm. so that basically the justices have to answer to Congress.
0: Um, And that's where we're at right now, which is just (laughs) <laughs> terrifying yeah like they're separate branches for a reason it's right. the balance of power which our whole government is founded on and you have senators that are trying to undermine that right that's disgusting it's disgusting and then we
2: also saw i was <laughs> this is so wild i don't know how i missed this but i saw this the other day the politico reporters who broke this leak unprecedented historic leak we could have a conversation about whether or not they should have done that i feel like it would be very hard to not publish that um the politico reporters who published it got an award at the White House Correspondence Center for their reporting. And those reporters talked about how they understood the massive implications of uh, this leak. And they basically insinuated that they understood it was important because it could have prevented Roe from being overturned.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: Wild. I watched that and I— I could not. <laughs> yeah. And I think the crazy thing is,
1: to your point earlier, they weren't enfor- they weren't enforcing the law, right? But they do it selectively. So right. it's not like they don't know how. And right. you see that with the Pentagon leak documents. Mm-hmm. Like we know – I'm looking at CNN right now. I have a visual of the, the 21-year-old's bedroom, and we have that level of detail for something – as serious as that type of leak. And this leak is literally jeopardizing the lives of some of the most critical people in the Supreme Court. Yeah. And we don't care. Our, their lives are not equal. <laughs>
2: it's I mean, absurd. We Sorry, Virginia. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we. I remember right after the leak, I believe it, the leak was um, published in Politico on May 2nd. And on May 4th, the Wall Street Journal published an editorial piece where they said, this leak is putting the justices in danger. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court should release their Dobbs opinion because this leak is making the justices targets for assassination. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly how they worded it, but they said it would be terrible if someone motivated by stopping Roe tried to kill a justice. Yeah. And then lo and behold, on June 8th, authorities arrested Nicholas Rosky, who told him he had come from California to Maryland to kill Kavanaugh. And what was particularly insidious about this was he had like all these burglary tools and like socks situation to put over his shoes so that he could quietly sneak through mm. Kavanaugh's house to kill him, mm. where his and children are sleeping. That wasn't even on the news. I mean, it was, but it wasn't as big as you right.
1: know, Pelosi's husband, who literally was just, you know, there was right. so much coverage of that. I we just, were just talking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's just how... The double standard. Yeah. yeah, the double standard has infiltrated everything, and how we can say, just don't pay attention to that, but we're going to pay attention to this issue, because right. this is what we want. This isn't our agenda. It's... An unequal value of of what one party wants over the other, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, elections are what makes the difference. And right. Americans and everyone listening really needs to re- be reminded of that. You might be frustrated with what you see, and if you are, go out and make sure that you're you're making your voice heard right? in November.
0: Well, and just as there's such a double standard that we have seen played out. In this, in this issue at the Supreme Court with things like, you know, it only took a week to find uh, the Pentagon leaker, but it's a year and they still, I, they still claim that they don't know who the leaker was at the Supreme Court. Uh, well, in the same way that we have seen such a double standard there, there's also uh, a little bit of an unacceptable standard that we are seeing with the Biden administration and so much of their push for green energy things. And this time... It might be affecting your AC unit. I'm sure some of us have had that situation or, or maybe our parents have where you have that first really hot day of summer and you go and you flip on the AC and it doesn't work. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. What do I do? Why? Now? <laughs> well, the common thing that often breaks or, or needs repairs in AC units is the refrigerant. So this is almost like a coolant, like you put coolant in your car, that uh, an AC unit needs in order to actually cool things down. But as part of the Biden administration's climate change policies, Biden's Environmental Protection Agency has put new restrictions on that common refrigerant that's used in many AC units. And it seems like most AC units that are older than 10 years old, use this type of Freon that's now being really severely restricted. What the EPA has done is limit the amount of this refrigerant that can be produced. And the EPA claims that this refrigerant, that it's contributing to climate change, it's bad for the environment, so they're trying to wean people off of it. Uh, So this means that, let's say you have a a 15-year-old AC unit, you turn it on this summer, it doesn't work, you might be paying an additional $100 to $500 more than usual in order to get that refrigerant that you need for your AC. That's according to Fox News. So I think when we look at situations like this, the thing we have to do first is take a step back and ask ourselves the question, who does this help and who is hurt by policies like this? Well, typically it's the poor that are hurt by policies like this. Right. I mean you you think about the fact that who who are the people that have old AC units that can't afford to upgrade to the new eco-friendly AC unit. It it is the poor. It's the middle class. It's the people that have kids who are saving for college tuition for their children, who are who are saving to buy a bigger home or buy their first home. Um, and the people who this really doesn't affect that much are the ones that have a lot of money right. and can buy that that new AC unit that doesn't require this type of of uh, refrigerant, mm-hmm. and they can be in um you know in alignment with the latest fad that the Biden administration says is necessary in order to save the planet. And I think what's important, too, is they haven't
1: really explained what this is going to do for the environment. They're just saying we want to put this ban, and it's because of global warming that we want to combat. But in a lot of cases, and I think that we had a study on gas stoves um, from Heritage, or there have been Mm -hmm. studies before on, on different regulations like this, where it shows there's very minimal benefit for creating these regulations. Mm -hmm. It's all it really does is force consumers to act a particular way. And kind of going back to our economic conversation, we've seen what the implications of policies that don't allow for a free market create. And that's usually turmoil and higher costs. And like you said, the poor are really going to be hurt by this. And what exactly is the gain, especially because we're seeing, you know, in Europe, a lot of them don't have access to AC. There's a lot. I mean, I'm thinking about Emily in Paris when, you know, <laughs> she goes to her new ad agency and everyone's sweating because there's no air conditioning. Like, <laughs> what exactly is that one room doing to benefit? And I'm not saying that I'm a, you know, super, I'm not trying to say that those that believe in, you know, making climate a priority are totally totally wrong. I do yeah, think to some extent Because we have a role in caring for
0: the environment. Exactly.
1: Like sure. don't throw trash out the window of your car. Like that's not a good idea. But yeah. I put do put think... shopping cart back. <laughs> put your
2: shopping cart. Back. <laughs> don't waste water. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But it's just when I see regulations like this, I immediately question what the benefit versus the cost is going to be mm-hmm. because It does get incredibly hot. And especially for newborns, like you need environments that are going to keep them at a safe, stable Mm. temperature, um, as well as those that are sick. So are we willing to jeopardize health and um, life to save the climate like this in this
2: way? And, And is it really saving the climate? Exactly. Also, I'm sorry, who are they to decide what the temperature of American families' homes should be? Like, since when is that up to the Biden administration?
0: It feels very socialist. It is.
2: Incredibly (laughs) socialist. Yeah. I think one of uh,
1: Richard Stern uh, from Heritage, who's amazing when it comes to regulations, has literally said that the Biden administration wants to enter your home in any way possible, whether it be stoves, water, air conditioning. And they are at war with your livelihood. Like, they are just trying to control every aspect of of you and they're seeing how far they can take it the gas stove that was a huge conversation and a lot of people were upset i hope that we see the same thing with ac because i Will not be sleeping at any temperature higher than sixty-eight.
0: <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Kristen's putting her foot down. <laughs> well, Kristen, like you said, these are, are regulations that are kind of slowly being rolled out. Uh, I, there's a, a target date of 2025 that Fox News reports on, um, where the EPA is trying to outlaw some of the most affordable AC units in order to bring in, you know, these more uh, environmentally friendly ac units so it's going to be interesting to see what happens and how americans respond because i do think when our own home appliances begin being affected people put their foot down right yeah so i i feel confident that americans are going to say hold up we're not okay with this but we'll have to wait and see of course we're still waiting and kind of watching the situation with gas stoves so we'll keep tracking that but stay with us because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission, to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to The Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now
1: it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of
0: the week. And the crown goes to... Tony Hassenbeck. Tony Hassenbach is an Oklahoma House of Representative who
1: recently approved the women's Bill of Rights preserving biological sex as a distinct legal category. House Bill 1449 clarifies how people of both biological sexes are treated under state law by defining sex as a person's biological sex, whether male or female at birth. It forbids unfair sex discrimination, but allows for the recognition of the differences between sex on issues related to biology, privacy, safety, or fairness. As a female athlete or a former female athlete, since I have since retired from soccer, (laughs) this is huge, I think, for Oklahomans. And I am just very happy to see representatives, especially female representatives, taking a stand and saying, this is not right. We will not have men in the women's locker room. We will not have men competing against women in sports. And – Being equal doesn't necessarily mean being totally inclusive of the craziness and progressive thoughts of the left, Mm -hmm. but super excited. She's a a wonderful woman who really took the lead on this and is just paving the way for young girls to be successful.
0: Well, I think you think of something so basic as the understanding that there are two distinct, just two distinct (laughs) sexes. uh, And of course, uh, you know, the founders never anticipated that we would need to, specifically say that in our laws and, and be clear that, no, 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 there's there's only two. There is male. There is female. You can't swap back and forth. Um, but lo and behold, these are the times that we're living in. So to see a, a lawmaker say, all right, I'm going to do what needs to be done and put in our laws that no, they're distinct, they're separate, that lays such a strong foundation for the prevention of things like men competing in women's sports. So- huge hat off to Tony Hassenbeck for her work on this.
1: Yeah. Major win for women. Absolutely. Major win
0: for women. Well, with that, that is going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Mary Margaret, thanks for being back with us today. This was fun. It was so fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime,
0: please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So thank you to everyone who's left us ratings and reviews. If you haven't, Make sure to let us know your thoughts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen.
2: Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
2: We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.